Chapters 31 through 40 of Against Celsus, Book 1 by Origen, translated by Frederick Crombie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by David Ronald. And besides this, one may well wonder how it happened that the disciples, if, as the calumniators of Jesus say, they did not see him after his resurrection from the dead and were not persuaded of his divinity, were not afraid to endure the same sufferings with their master and to expose themselves to danger and to leave their native country to teach according to the desire of Jesus the doctrine delivered to them by him. For I think that no one who candidly examines the facts would say that these men devoted themselves to a life of danger for the sake of the doctrine of Jesus without a profound belief which he had wrought in their minds of its truth not only teaching them to conform to his precepts, but others also, and to conform, moreover, when manifest destruction to life impended over him who ventured to introduce these new opinions into all places and before all audiences, and who could retain as his friend no human being who adhered to the former opinions and usages. For did not the disciples of Jesus see, when they ventured to prove not only to the Jews from their prophetic scriptures that this is he who is spoken of by the prophets, but also to the other heathen nations that he who was crucified yesterday or the day before underwent this death voluntarily on behalf of the human race, that this was analogous to the case of those who have died for their country in order to remove pestilence or barrenness or tempests for it is probable that there is in the nature of things for certain mysterious reasons which are difficult to be understood by the multitude such a virtue that one just man dying a voluntary death for the common good might be the means of removing wicked spirits which are the cause of plagues or barrenness or tempests or similar calamities let those Therefore, who would disbelieve the statement that Jesus died on the cross on behalf of men, say whether they also refuse to accept the many accounts, current both among Greeks and barbarians, of persons who have laid down their lives for the public advantage in order to remove those evils which had fallen upon cities and countries? Or will they say that such events actually happened, but that no credit is to be attached to that account which makes this so-called man to have died to ensure the destruction of a mighty evil spirit, the ruler of evil spirits, who had held in subjection the souls of all men upon earth? And the disciples of Jesus, seeing this and much more, which, it is probable, they learned from Jesus in private, and being filled, moreover, with a divine power, since it was no mere poetical virgin that endowed them with strength and courage, but the true wisdom and understanding of God, exerted all their efforts to become distinguished among all men, not only among the Argives, but among all the Greeks and barbarians alike, and so bear away for themselves a glorious renown. But let us now return to where the Jew is introduced, speaking of the mother of Jesus, and saying that, quote, when she was pregnant, she was turned out of doors by the carpenter to whom she had been betrothed, as having been guilty of adultery, and that she bore a child to a certain soldier named Panthera, end quote. And let us see whether those who have blindly concocted these fables about the adultery of the virgin with Panthera and her rejection by the carpenter 
did not invent these stories to overturn his miraculous conception by the holy ghost for they could have falsified the history in a different manner on account of its extremely miraculous character and not have admitted as it were against their will that jesus was born of no ordinary human marriage it was to be expected indeed that those who would not believe the miraculous birth of jesus would invent some falsehood and their not doing this in a credible manner but their preserving the fact that it was not by joseph that the virgin conceived jesus rendered the falsehood very palpable to those who can understand and detect such inventions it is at all agreeable to reason that he who dared to do so much for the human race in order that as far as in him lay all the greeks and barbarians who were looking for divine condemnation might depart from evil and regulate their entire conduct in a manner pleasing to the creator of the world should not have had a miraculous birth but one the vilest and most disgraceful of all and i will ask of them as greeks and particularly of celsus who either holds or not the sentiments of plato and at any rate quotes them whether he who sends souls down into the bodies of men degraded him who was to dare such mighty acts and to teach so many men and to reform so many from the mass of wickedness in the world to a birth more disgraceful than any other and did not rather introduce him into the world through a lawful marriage or is it not more in conformity with reason that every soul for certain mysterious reason i speak now according to the opinion of pythagoras and plato and empedocles whom celsus frequently names is introduced into a body and introduced according to its deserts and former actions it is probable therefore that this soul also which conferred more benefit by its residence in the flesh than that of many men to avoid prejudice i do not say all stood in need of a body not only superior to others but invested with all excellent qualities now if a particular soul for certain mysterious reasons is not deserving of being placed in the body of a wholly irrational being nor yet in that of one purely rational but is clothed with a monstrous body so that reason cannot discharge its functions in one so fashioned which has the head disproportioned to the other parts and altogether too short and another receives such a body that the soul is a little more rational than the other and another still more so the nature of the body counteracting to a greater or less degree the reception of the reasoning principle why should there not be also some soul which receives an altogether miraculous body possessing some qualities common to those of other men so that it may be able to pass through life with them but possessing also some quality of superiority so that the soul may be able to remain untainted by sin and if there be any truth in the doctrine of the physiognomists whether zopyrus or luxus or of Polemon, or any other who wrote on such a subject and who professed to know in some wonderful way that all bodies are adapted to the habits of the souls must there have been for that soul which was to dwell with miraculous power among men and work mighty deeds a body produced as celsus thinks by an act of adultery between panthera and the virgin why 
from such unhallowed intercourse there must rather have been brought forth some fool to do injury to mankind a teacher of licentiousness and wickedness and other evils and not of temperance and righteousness and other virtues but it was as the prophets also predicted from a virgin that there was to be born according to the promised sign one who was to give his name to the fact showing that at his birth god was to be with man now it seems to me appropriate to the character of the jews to have quoted the prophecy of isaiah which says that emmanuel was to be born of a virgin this however celsus who professes to know everything has not done either from ignorance or from an unwillingness if he had read it and voluntarily passed it by in silence to furnish an argument which might defeat his purpose and the prediction runs thus quote, and the lord spake again unto ahaz saying ask thee a sign of the lord thy god ask it either in the depth or in the height above but ahaz said i will not ask neither will i tempt the lord and he said hear ye now o house of david is it a small thing for you to weary men but will ye weary my god also therefore the lord himself shall give you a sign behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is, being interpreted, God with us. End quote. And that it was from intentional malice that Celsus did not quote this prophecy is clear to me from this that although he makes numerous quotations from the gospel according to Matthew, as of the star that appeared at the birth of Christ, and other miraculous occurrences, he has made no mention at all of this. Now, if a Jew should split words and say that the words are not, quote, lo a virgin end quote, but quote, lo a young woman end quote, we reply that the word olma which the septuagint have rendered by a virgin and others by a young woman occurs as they say in deuteronomy as applied to a virgin in the following connection quote, if a damsel that is a virgin be betrothed unto a husband and a man find her in the city and lie with her then ye shall bring them both out unto the gate of that city and ye shall stone them with stones that they die the damsel because she cried not being in the city and the man because he humbled his neighbor's wife end quote. and again quote, but if a man find a betrothed damsel in a field and a man force her and lie with her then the man only that lay with her shall die but unto the damsel ye shall do nothing there is in her no sin worthy of death end quote. but that we may not seem because of a hebrew word to endeavour to persuade those who are unable to determine whether they ought to believe it or not that the prophet spoke of this man being born a virgin because at his birth these words quote, god with us end quote, were uttered let us make good our point from the words themselves the lord is related to have spoken to ahaz thus quote, ask a sign for thyself from the lord thy god either in the depth or height above End quote. and afterwards the sign is given behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son what kind of sign then would that have been a young woman who was not a virgin giving birth to a child and which of the two is the more appropriate as the mother of emmanuel i.e. God with us, whether a woman who has had intercourse with a man and who has conceived after the manner of women, or one who is still a pure and holy virgin, surely it is appropriate only to the latter to produce a being at whose birth it is said, 
quote, God with us, end quote, and should he be so captious as to say that it is to Ahaz that the command is addressed, quote, ask thyself a sign from the Lord thy God, end quote, we shall ask in return who in the times of Ahaz bore a son at whose birth the expression is made use of, Emmanuel, i.e., God with us, and if no one can be found, then manifestly what is said to Ahaz was said to the house of David, because it is written that the Savior was born of the house of David according to the flesh, and this sign is said to be, quote, in the depth or in the height, end quote, since, quote, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things, end quote. And these arguments I employ as against a Jew who believes in prophecy. Let Celsus now tell me, or any of those who think with him, with what meaning the prophet utters either these statements about the future or the others which are contained in the prophecies. Is it with any foresight of the future or not? If with the foresight of the future, then the prophets were divinely inspired. If with no foresight of the future, let him explain the meaning of one who speaks thus boldly regarding the future, and who is an object of admiration among the Jews because of his prophetic powers. And now, since we have touched upon the subject of the prophets, what we are about to advance will be useful not only to the Jews who believe that they spake by divine inspiration, but also to the more candid among the Greeks. To these we say that we must necessarily admit that the Jews had prophets if they were to be kept together under that system of law which had been given them, and were to believe in the creator of the world as they had learned and to be without pretexts so far as the law was concerned for apostatizing to the polytheism of the heathen and we establish this necessity in the following manner quote, for the nations end quote, as it is written in the book of the law of the jews itself quote, shall hearken unto observers of times and diviners end quote. but to that people it is said quote, but as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee to do so, end quote. And to this is subjoined the promise, quote, A prophet shall the Lord thy God raise up unto thee from among thy brethren, end quote. Since, therefore, the heathen employ modes of divination, either by oracles, or by omens, or by birds, or by ventriloquists, or by those who profess the art of sacrifice, or by Chaldean genealogists, all which practices were forbidden to the Jews, this people, if they had no means of attaining a knowledge of futurity, being led by the passion common to humanity of ascertaining the future, would have despised their own prophets as not having in them any particle of divinity, and would not have accepted any prophet after Moses, nor committed their words to writing, but would have spontaneously betaken themselves to the divining usages of the heathen, or attempted to establish some such practices amongst themselves. There is therefore no absurdity in their prophets having uttered predictions even about events of no importance, to suit those who desire such things, as when Samuel prophesies regarding three she-asses which were lost, or when mention is made in the third book of Kings respecting the sickness of a king's son. And why should not those who desired to obtain auguries from idols be severely rebuked by the administrators of the law among the Jews? as Elijah is found rebuking Isaiah and saying, quote, Is it because there is not a god in Israel that ye go to inquire of Beelzebub, god of Ekron? End quote. I think, then, that it has been pretty well established not only that our Savior was to be born of a virgin, 
but also that there were prophets among the Jews who uttered not merely general predictions about the future as regarding Christ and the kingdoms of the world and the events that were to happen to Israel and those nations which were to believe on the Savior and many other things concerning him, but also prophecies respecting particular events, as, for instance, how the asses of Kish, which were lost, were to be discovered, and regarding the sickness which had fallen upon the son of the king of Israel, and any other recorded circumstance of a similar kind. But as a further answer to the Greeks, who do not believe in the birth of Jesus from a virgin, we have to say that the Creator has shown, by the generation of several kinds of animals, that what he has done in the instance of one animal, he could do, if it pleased him, in that of others, and also of man himself. For it is ascertained that there is a certain female animal which has no intercourse with the male, as writers on animals say is the case with vultures, and that this animal, without sexual intercourse, preserves the succession of race. What incredibility, therefore, is there in supposing that, if God wished to send a divine teacher to the human race, he caused him to be born in some manner different from the common? Nay, according to the Greeks themselves, all men were not born of a man and woman, for if the world has been created, as many even of the Greeks are pleased to admit, then the first men must have been produced, not from sexual intercourse, but from the earth in which spermatic elements existed, which, however, I consider more incredible than that Jesus was born, like other men, so far as regards the half of his birth, and there is no absurdity in employing Grecian histories to answer Greeks, with the view of showing that we are not the only persons who have recourse to miraculous narratives of this kind. For some have thought fit, not in regard to ancient and heroic narratives, but in regard to events of very recent occurrence, to relate as a possible thing that Plato was the son of Amphistion, Ariston being prevented from having martial intercourse with his wife until she had given birth to him with whom she was pregnant by Apollo. And yet these are veritable fables which have led to the invention of such stories concerning a man whom they regarded as possessing greater wisdom and power than the multitude and as having received the beginning of his corporal substance from better and diviner elements than others because they thought that this was appropriate to persons who were too great to be human beings. And since Celsus has introduced the Jew disputing with Jesus and tearing in pieces, as he imagines, the fiction of his birth from a virgin, comparing the Greek fables about Danae and Melanippe and Auge and Antiope, our answer is that such language becomes a buffoon and not one who is writing in a serious tone. But, moreover, taking the history contained in the Gospel according to Matthew of our Lord's descent into Egypt, he refuses to believe the miraculous circumstances attending it, viz., either that the angel gave the divine intimation, or that our Lord's quitting Judea and residing in Egypt was an event of any significance. But he invents something altogether different, admitting somehow the miraculous works done by Jesus, by means of which he induced the multitude to follow him as the Christ. And yet, he desires to throw discredit on them, as being done by the help of magic and not by divine power, for he asserts, quote, 
that he, Jesus, having been brought up as an illegitimate child and having served for hire in Egypt and then coming to the knowledge of certain miraculous powers, returned from thence to his own country and by means of those powers proclaimed himself a god. End quote. Now I do not understand how a magician should exert himself to teach a doctrine which persuades us always to act as if God were to judge every man for his deeds, and should have trained his disciples whom he was to employ as the ministers of his doctrine in the same belief. For did the latter make an impression upon their hearers after they had been so taught to work miracles, or was it without the aid of these? The assertion, therefore, that they did no miracles at all, but that, after yielding their belief to arguments which were not at all convincing, like the wisdom of the Grecian dialects, they gave themselves up to the task of teaching the new doctrine to those persons among whom they happened to take up their abode is altogether absurd. For in what did they place their confidence when they taught the doctrine and disseminated the new opinions? But if they indeed wrought miracles, then how can it be believed that magicians exposed themselves to such hazards to introduce a doctrine which forbade the practice of magic? I do not think it necessary to grapple with an argument advanced not in a serious but in a scoffing spirit such as the following, quote, If the mother of Jesus was beautiful, then the God whose nature is not to love a corruptible body had intercourse with her because she was beautiful, end quote. Or, quote, It was improbable that the God would entertain a passion for her because she was neither rich nor of royal rank, seeing no one, even of her neighbors, knew her. End quote, and is the same scoffing spirit that he adds, quote, When hated by her husband and turned out of doors, she was not saved by divine power, nor was her story believed. Such things, he says, have no connection with the kingdom of heaven. End quote. In what respect does such language differ from that of those who pour abuse on others on the public streets and whose words are unworthy of any serious attention? After these assertions, he takes from the Gospel of Matthew and perhaps also from the other Gospels, the account of the dove alighting upon our Savior at his baptism by John, and desires to throw discredit upon the statement alleging that the narrative is a fiction. Having completely disposed, as he imagined, of the story of our Lord's birth from a virgin, he does not proceed to deal in an orderly manner with the accounts that follow it since passion and hatred observe no order but angry and vindictive men slander those whom they hate as the feeling comes upon them, being prevented by their passion from arranging their accusations on a careful and orderly plan. For if he had observed a proper arrangement, he would have taken up the gospel and, with the view of assailing it, would have objected to the first narrative, then passed on to the second, and so on to the others." But now, after the birth from a virgin, this Celsus, who professes to be acquainted with all of our history, attacks the account of the appearance of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove at his baptism, and then, after that, tries to throw discredit upon the prediction that our Lord was to come into the world. In the next place, he runs away to what immediately follows the narrative of the birth of Jesus, the account of the star and of the wise men who came from the east to worship the child. And you yourself may find, if you take the trouble, many confused statements made by Celsus throughout his whole book, so that even in this account 
he may by those who know how to observe and require an orderly method of arrangement be convicted of great rashness and boasting in having inscribed upon his work the title of a true discourse a thing which is never done by a learned philosopher for plato says that it is not an indication of an intelligent man to make strong assertions respecting those matters which are somewhat uncertain and the celebrated chrysippus even who frequently states the reasons by which he is decided refers us to those whom we shall find to be abler speakers than himself this man however who is wiser than those already named and then all the other greeks agreeably to his assertion of being acquainted with everything inscribed upon his book the words a true discourse end of against celsus by origin chapters thirty one through forty read by david ronald